Bengal Famine of 1943 is not a simple event of history. While we know a little bit about what happened, there is no end of confusion about why and how it happened. This isn't helped by the fact that politicians, especially in India, but now among the rising anti-British movements in the West, love to use the Bengal Famine as a case against the British Empire, and specifically against wartime Prime Minister Winston Churchill. But this notion that Winston Churchill and his policies led to this famine that killed approximately 2 to 3 million people is completely absurd. In fact, no serious historian or academic truly believes it. A common quote attributed to Winston Churchill is that the Bengali deserved the famine because they, quote, breed like rabbits. I have seen this quote propping up throughout many articles that criticize Winston Churchill and the British Empire, and I have searched the sources of where this apparently appears. The irony is that in most of the citations which claim that Winston Churchill said this, the, the citation actually claims the opposite, that there is no evidence that Winston Churchill actually said this. Now, it is no doubt that Churchill may have been erased and probably was. For almost every single person was back then, and to a large degree still are, but that's a controversial statement. I don't think I'll ever expand upon because I value my career. The great irony, though, is that these sources claim the exact opposite that the people citing them actually claim that they do, which speaks to the illiteracy of many people who hold the view that Winston Churchill caused the famine. Just suffice to say that there is no evidence that he ever said this quote, besides just a little bit of hearsay and a few uh, and a few of his political opponents claiming it without any sort of substantive edit, uh, substantial evidence. But even if he did, which he did not, it does not even come close to suggesting and providing evidence that he caused the famine. Information about the Bengal famine is muddy today. Back then, people weren't even sure that there was a famine going on. There were no huge food riots to signal discontent in the local system of food distribution during the war. When Churchill looked at the region, his main concern would have been the Japanese occupation of Burma, a large food producer in the area, and one of the variables causing, well, or may have caused the famine. But as Churchill became aware of the famine and slowly, and information slowly started to reach the war cabinet, he could have been excused for doing nothing. They were fighting a global war with the likes the world had never seen before. And as I'll explain later in this podcast, British are not responsible for this famine. But despite the difficulties of sending aid, Churchill and the War Cabinet dedicated over 200,000 tons of grain to be sent to India and Bengal by the end of the year. This is not the sign of an empire that neglected one of its territories. But this podcast isn't about just making excuses for Winston Churchill and the British Empire. It is a podcast about the famine itself. So, we know the results of the famine. Two, po- two to three million dead. We know the context, World War II. Signs of famine only started to happen after the Japanese occupation of Burma, which is, as I have said, a major source of food in the region. This occupation not only denied the area a source of food, it also led to raiding on ships. In 1942, approximately 100,000 tons of merchant shipping were sunk in the Bay of Bengal, further hurting supply lines. In the past, the British Raj had relied on rail transport to keep all its territories fed, but Japanese raids had threatened the transportation network. After the Burmese occupation, Bengal became the front line in the war effort. This caused a few things, a military build-up, inflation and displacement. 
Many Bengal labourers were redirected from food production to military industries. Local production was also required to sell their goods to the military at a cheap rate, but allowed to continue selling the surplus at any price they wished. This led to a huge spike in the cost of goods, notably cloth. By 1942, the cost of cloth had more than tripled. The military did, pro did provide relief by 1943, however, but economic ripples this caused did remain. A further problem of the system of military procurement was that suppliers were paid in credit from the Bank of England that would only be paid after the war ended. This meant that while they were producing and selling their goods, they were not actually being paid at present. To remedy this, the Bank of India was allowed to print money backed by this credit as an asset. This growth in the money supply caused tremendous inflation that ate into the spending power of Indians in Bengali. Displacement of Bengali by military installations and soldiers also didn't help, as an estimated 30 to 36,000 families were displaced from their land. They were paid for this land but had lost their employment. Anticipating the Japanese would secure more of Bengal, many of its areas were also scorched, and its surplus of rice and crops sent further inland to prevent it from being captured by the Japanese. The amounts removed in this denial policy were officially very small, and should not have caused a famine. But there is evidence that official figures were wrong, and that they were, there was a lot of corruption and mismanagement that caused the removal of more rice. This wasn't the main issue, however. This denial policy damaged economic relationships, encouraging hoarding and the hiding of food, as well as leading to complete freezing of the informal lending industry. This credit freeze restricted the flow of rice into trade. In response to fears of rising, of rising prices and the fall of Burma, many Indian provinces and princedoms imposed interprovincial trade barriers, preventing domestic trade in rice. This decision was made to ensure local populations had enough to eat and that they wouldn't sell off their food in case of an emergency, but was also encouraged by just sheer fear rather than rational policy. In January 1942, Punjab banned the export of wheat, which further enhanced the fear of food insecurity. One by one, provinces banned exporting food, eliminating the essential supply network that the British Raj had relied on to stave off famines across the reg a region known for its famines. As a deponent of the Famine Inquiry Commission of 1945 put it, Every province, every district, every administrative division in the east of India had become a food republic unto itself. The trade machinery for the distribution of food between provinces throughout the east of India was slowly strangled and by the spring of 1943 was dead. By mid-1942, the loss of Burma had reinforced the strategic importance of Calcutta. People in the region were placed into classes depending on their importance to the war effort. Those in the middle class or military important industries, notably soldiers themselves, were given priority status. The rural poor were, to be expected, deemed a non-priority. Food prices rose due to the internal food protectionism and denial policies. By July 1942, signs of famine were becoming apparent. The Bengal Chamber of Commerce devised a foodstuff scheme to distribute food and goods away from non-priority areas towards the high-priority war industries and their high-priority workers. Essential workers were given subsidised food, as well as being paid frequently and higher than normal. This rise in spending power by a select part of the population led to increased inflation. Non-priority workers had an increasingly reduced access to food and medical care, as the food that wasn't taken from them was hoarded by scared producers fearing famine, or was unaffordable as the price of food rose due to subsidies and rising income by a few. Reacting to fear of the cessation of Burmese imports, the, Burmese, the Bengal government established price controls on rice, fixing the price of rice considerably, considerably lower than its market value. 
This resulted in increased hoarding and black market selling. The government remedied this by dropping the price fixing later, only warning against war profiteering. This resulted in relatively stable prices for four months. But in mid-October 1942, multiple natural disasters hit the area, damaging crops. This caused a panic, leading to a spike in prices. The soft price controls led many producers to sell on the black market. The Bengal government attempted to stop this by bringing in rice from other provinces, but this new supply wasn't enough to stop the panic. On the 11th of March 1943, the government ended price controls, but it was too late. The panic had set in and prices skyrocketed. Inflation rose considerably from March to May, and the first deaths of the sto- from starvation were recorded in May. The government tried to prevent hoarding and speculation by stating that the shortage wasn't genuine and that only caused by hoarding itself, but people did not listen and prices continued to go out of control. The government never formally declared a state of famine, even though doing so would have entitled them to a lot more aid under the famine code. But I doubt that the food aid would have helped, as many experts identify the problem wasn't a lack of food, because no matter how much food was brought in, the prices were still crazy and there were no efficient ways of distributing the food properly. By the end of the famine, an estimated 2-3 to million people had died of starvation or disease linked to malnutrition. It has left a scar that many Indian politicians are still using as a mandate to blame colonialism to this day. There are quite a few explanations that try to dissect the timeline of these events and find out why the famine happened. Bhatia is convinced that the famine was caused and exacerbated by the British colonial government's neglect and failure to retain imports to feed the population. But I find his argument unconvincing. First, the British Raj isn't some centralised imperial machine. As identified by the provinces passing their own separate protectionist policies, the Raj was decentralised. The British Empire did make an effort to alleviate the famine, however, dedicating food aid and attempting to stop the price chaos to bringing in costly imports. The notion that the British Raj and Empire neglected Bengal is a complete fiction. The Bengal colonial government itself can be blamed, however, for its initial price controls, prioritised distribution and its class system, as well as its denial policy. The Bengal government is not the British government, however. They were disconnected, as no empire can be run centrally and last. But while the empire ran efficiently as a whole due to decentralisation, it was central planning within Bengal that exacerbated economic issues that led to the famine. Amartya Sen, regarded as an expert on the Bengal famine and famines in general, believed that food supply had almost nothing to do with the famine. Rather, it was about access to food. There was more than enough food in reality, but there was a perception that there was food scarcity, which caused hoarding, price controls, black markets and inflation. As a result of the Bengal, Ugali government, central planning and prioritised groups, some people could afford to pay more for food that everyone had begun to believe was scarce. The wrong market signals were being sent to the market, leading to a huge rise in food prices. Soon enough, many people could no longer afford the food, even if it existed. Paul Greenough argues that food supply wasn't the issue, and accepts sense data that suggests that it was economic access to food and disparate wages that caused the famine. But he expands on the idea of culture rather than market efficiency. He argues that the policy of supporting urban elites and priority groups caused a breakdown in the social fabric of the country, leading to destruction of old economic relationships. Even if the famine wasn't due to a lack of food, people started believing it was, and this caused fatalism, hoarding, and a spiral of man-made poverty. To reiterate some of the arguments made, the traditional view is that food was scarce, so people starved. 
This was caused by the Burmese occupation and national, natural disasters. But it is clear that food wasn't scarce. People just thought it was, which caused bad signals and information to be sent to the market, further causing prices to rise and many people to not be able to afford food. This is backed by SENS data that suggested only non-priority groups were affected. Many Indian nationalists today blame imperial neglect for the famine. Some very bad arguments suggest that food was stripped from Bengal and taken to the Middle East, where it was not needed. This is, frankly, not true, and in fact, the empire and the Raj did all it could to send food aid and keep the area supplied. To conclude, based on the information collected, I don't think we can blame a lack of food or the empire as a whole. We can and should blame the local Bengal government for its central planning. As is always the case when it comes to central planning, bad signals were caused by events such as the Burma occupation, the denial policy and natural disasters. And these were exacerbated by well-meaning policies such as price controls and priority distribution. Food prices rose as people hoarded food, thinking there was a famine. The increased wages of some also meant that food sellers thought that consumers could absorb the new costs. The lack of food rights also prevented people from really anticipating the problem before it was too late. Overall, the Bengal famine isn't just a simple case of no food cause bad British. It is a tragic case of central planning, wartime economics and plain old public panic. Perhaps it could have been avoided, but the march of history contains too many complications to just change one event so simply. India is a region rife with famine, even if they are somewhat excused today. And today, there is no excuse about food production. What is clear is that central planning and panic are the biggest enemies of prosperity and need to be opposed if we are to prevent another famine. Thank you for listening to this episode of the History Society podcast. My sources for this podcast were varied as I studied the Bengal famine extensively in the past. Amartya Sen is a very good source of information about the famine, but it's also worth reading BM Bhatia's articles as well as Paul Greenough's. And also don't be afraid of just reading the Wikipedia article. It is well-researched with good citations and helped me revise a lot of what I had forgotten. If you would like to support me and the History Society podcast, please consider donating to me on Patreon. You can find my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash nicholaswoodsmith. You can also follow the History Society on Facebook. Thank you, and until next time.